At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. The Apostle Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have loved us despite our sin, despite our hostility to you, despite our lack of love for others. You and your son Jesus have loved us perfectly and completely, and you have done everything to rescue and re- reconcile us to yourself. Lord, we thank you that you've spoken here. We, we long to be like Jesus. We long to, to display your grace in all the world. And, and so, Father, thank you for this word, and I pray this morning that as we talk about generosity and giving, that, that first of all, our hearts would not be wouldn't, they would not be hard or, or stubborn or, or stiff, Lord, in, in hearing these things, but that they would be soft and humble, that you would allow your spirit to work within us. And as your word is useful in every way for encouragement and training and correction, and building up, Lord, would, would your spirit take your word and do that in our lives today? Help us become more like Christ. So, Lord, give me strength, uh, work through your word, and, and use your spirit, Father, to speak through me, to communicate clearly your truth and your love to us. And may your spirit work within our hearts to produce faith that leads to obedience. And God, may you be glorified in all things. We, we pray this so that your name is magnified and that you are exalted. And we thank you for your kindness, and we pray this now together in the name of Jesus. Amen be seated. Well, do you know what happens to, uh, to a container? Do you know what happens really to the things that are being dropped into a container when, when the, the objects being poured into that container are, are more than the capacity of the container itself? A little science lesson here for you. Whatever you're filling that container with, Inevitably, if you, if you fill it with more than it can hold, it overflows. It spills out everywhere. It's the scientific principle. When the quantity being poured into an object overcomes or is greater than the capacity of the object itself, whatever is being poured into, it spills out or overflows the, the object it spills out everywhere. It's not, this isn't rocket science, by the way. I know I said scientific principle, but not like rocket science stuff. This is pretty, this is like kindergarten level kind of, of science, right? 
You're filling up a, a container, a water bottle with water, and you're not paying attention there as you're at the refrigerator, and you start looking around, and all of a sudden, water just starts flowing everywhere. It's because there's more water put into the container than the container can hold itself. And this is a good point for us to start asking a really deep question. How much of God's love has been poured into your life? Now, now, to understand that, you've got to assess the capacity of, of, of you, the, the, the object of the container, as it were. What, what's your true capacity to, to receive God's love? And then you have to think about the, the quantity of the love of God or the grace of God that has been poured into your life. Now, I think if you're, if you're tracking with me well here, you would immediately recognize that God's love and grace is of infinite quantity. Like there, we, can't put any, we can't put any metric on how, how big or exhaustive or expansive God's love is. His, his love is unfathomable. It's, it's unquantifiable. And, and yet here you and I are just kind of individual, finite, little people. And so if God's infinite love is being poured into, His infinite grace is being poured into our finite lives... Can the container really hold the quantity of the love being poured into it? The obvious answer should be no, right? Like the, the truly receiving God's love and grace should result because God's love is infinite and His grace is infinite, that it truly should result in an overflow of His grace into the lives of others all around us. It's simply this principle, I'll start and put it this way, it's that Grace received is grace given. When we've been given the infinite love of God and Jesus Christ in His grace to us, it means that that grace overflows and that it is given to the world around us. It overflows in, in many different ways. Particularly, one of the ways we're going to look at here has to do with the overflow of generosity or giving in our lives. Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I know we're parachuting right into the middle of a book, and normally when you're studying Scripture, you want to, you want to walk through the whole of it to get, to get the big idea, but, but Paul here kind of interrupts his discussion of, of the gospel and his conversation about their relationship between him and the Corinthians to talk about this very practical matter, not because it doesn't matter, but because it does impact the very point in the very center of where he's at. He's been trying to, to tell the Corinthians he's coming back to visit them. Now, it, it, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians has been kind of an up and down one. He planted the church in Corinth. He, he went there and he proclaimed the gospel and, and many believed and started following Christ as he taught and trained. And Paul spent several years there in the city of Corinth teaching and preaching and seeing the church grow and be built. And then, he, and then he left to continue ministry and to go in other places. He wrote a letter back to that church called the letter, it's the letter of 1 Corinthians, to address some of the issues and concerns in that church. The Corinthian church is a lot like the American church today. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, it's like looking in a mirror about the American church. There's all sorts of problems going on in the church of Corinth. And, and there were so many of the problems that deal with the things, the peripheral things that aren't the center of the Christian faith, the gospel itself. They were sitting there talking about, well, hey, I want to follow this certain apostle, and you want to follow that certain apostle. And then there's the spiritual people back there like, well, I want 
to follow Jesus. And they're all over the place. And Paul's like, hey, let's, let's just get it around to like, we've got to get to Christ here. And then he starts talking to them about spiritual gifts and the Lord's Supper, orderly worship services, speaking in tongues, like all these different issues that are going on in the church, sexual immorality, the like, it's just like a mess. And Paul finally comes around to the, at the end of the book and he says, listen, guys, here's the primary thing you need to see. What's of most importance to us, that Christ, in accordance with the Scripture, laid down His life, and that Christ, in accordance with Scripture, on the third day, was raised to life again. Paul says the gospel is central, and the issues in the Corinthian church were all issues that were distractions from the gospel. So as he's proclaiming that and telling them that, there in the church of Corinth, some people began to get frustrated. And these people weren't spiritually minded, they weren't following the gospel, they weren't about it, and they began to discount Paul's ministry. In fact, they started to sow some division in the church itself and say, hey, listen, Paul's a hack. You know, like he's a, he's a subpar apostle, like little a apostle, probably you can't even call him that. You should follow us. And the, the evidence that they used against Paul was that Paul was suffering. He, he's like, why, why would you follow a guy that every city he goes to, he gets beat up for the name of Jesus? Like, the guy can't preach a message without getting punched in the face. You want to follow a guy like that? Like, we're, we're good guys. We're strong leaders. We're winners. Follow us. And so these super apostles, as Paul called them, some way to mock them, they started taking the church away from the true gospel and from Christ. Somewhere between writing 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote a severe letter. That's what he called it. To call them to repent and to call that church back to Christ itself. After sending that severe letter, the church began to respond. And so what happens is Paul writes another letter, and he sends his uh, friend Titus to take that letter to them to help bridge the gap. And that's the letter of 2 Corinthians here. So this is probably like the third, maybe even the fourth letter that Paul's written to the Corinthian church. We don't have that severe letter. But he writes this letter to say, hey, I'm coming back to you, and I want to see there be reconciliation I want to see restoration. I want to see you guys centered in the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, you made a commitment to help some Christians in Judea that were really poor. And I want to see you carry that through. I want to be a part of helping you in that. So as Paul is helping them understand and get a hold of the gospel, he also wants them to see how that gospel work practically bears itself out in the commitments they've made to give and to support another church, to support other Christians who are really poor and really having a hard season of life. That's the context of this letter of 2 Corinthians. And so when we get to chapter 8 here, and I'm sorry I had to do a lot of work just to ramp you up, but I want you to see, when we get to chapter 8 here, Paul is basically calling in the card. He's saying, hey, we've talked about this offering for the sake of the church in Judea. I've been telling you how to prepare for it. I'm coming back to Corinth. I'm looking forward to meeting with you, and I want you to have that offering ready. I want you to follow through on the commitment you made to give. And in this chapter, he lays out what that commitment really looks like. And really more, he's aimed at how they are to be motivated in thinking about giving. Again, here's the principle that grace received is grace given. He wants them to see your lives, your, your, your finite lives that, that contain all that you have today, tomorrow, and, and that's it, has been filled with God's immense, inexhaustible love. And you've received that love. And that love should overflow in your life in giving. 
and doing and following through with what you said, even following through in incredible ways. And so I want to ask the question this morning, is grace overflowing in your life? In the same way that Paul asked it, have you received the grace of God? Have you received the infinite love of of Christ in His life and death and resurrection for you? And if you have, is that love overflowing? Because you can't contain it. Is it overflowing in your life in generosity? In, In the first six verses here, Paul shows us how that grace practically overflows in generosity in our lives. It gives us the the nature or the characteristics of what grace overflowing really looks like. And I want to show us these three things here this morning. When we receive grace, it overflows. If it's received rightly, if if we see God's grace rightly. When we receive grace, it overflows. And the first way that it overflows is that it overflows regardless of our circumstances. Grace is not hindered. The overflow of grace in the world and in generosity is not hindered by our circumstances. Now, this is what Paul says in verse 1 and 2. And and the question here is asked is, how often do we let our circumstances dictate our actions, right? If things are going well for us, well, we can be open-handed, we can be kind, we can be happy even, we can give. Like, oh yeah, if I'm having a great day, I'm, I'm glad to be generous. If things are going poorly, if we're having a hard day, we turn it the other way. We're, we're maybe a little bit more closed-handed. Maybe our hearts aren't as soft. We're, we're perhaps stingy. It's as if, based on our circumstances often, the flow of grace overflowing in our lives gets turned off. But here's what Paul says. He says, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he says, Hey, Corinthians, Your neighbors from the north, the Macedonians, they've received a massive outpouring of God's grace in their life. And we want you to know about that. And we stop and go, okay, wait, what is this grace of God that they have received? What what does that look like or mean? The grace of God there that he's talking about, this grace that has been given to them, it's the Greek word charis. Paul loves this word, by the way. He uses it 10 times here in just these two chapters. It's a sense of undeserved favor and merit. That's how we define grace. Grace is undeserved, unearned love. That's why grace is different than works. We're given grace by God's kindness, by His goodness, regardless of whether we deserve it. In fact, in spite of whether we deserve it, because of His goodness to us. When we think about the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonians, it's easy for us to go, oh, okay. They have, been, they have seen that Christ has come and lived the life they couldn't live, died on the cross for their sins, and was raised to life again on the third day, and that blew their hearts and minds, and they received God's love. They recognized God loves us, even while we're still sinners. God's done something to save us. He's given His own Son for us. That grace of God was poured out and given among the Macedonians. And because of that, something greater happened. As the grace of God was given among the churches of Macedonia, and note that there, it's a gift. It's not something that's earned. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given. God gave them a gift. As that gift was given, some things were produced. Some things happened. Paul here has a specific thought about how God's grace worked here. It's the way that God's grace showed in their lives. 
Well, what happened? Paul talks about their circumstances in verse 2. He says, for in a severe test of affliction. Okay, so are the Macedonians having a good day? No, (laughs) they're not having a good day at all. Severe test of affliction. It's not just a bad day, it is a severe day. It is a hard, hard, hard day. It is a hard season for them. It probably extended beyond just a day. When you read the uh, letter of, uh, of Acts, you find that when Paul was in Macedonia, the pagans around the Macedonian cities did not like the Christians. In fact, everywhere Paul went in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Philippi, even Berea, he faced suffering and opposition. These Christians, they're suffering. They're in the midst of severe trials, severe tests. That's their circumstances. Not a good day. So how will they respond? What does the grace of God do in that? Well, the grace of God moves itself to their resources. Here's what they have. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, so that, they've got that, they, they take the word seriously, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the trying of your faith produces Christ-like character. So, so they've, got, they've got joy, there's an abundance of it, they're, they're, they're filled with gratitude to God because he loves them, they're, they're trusting in him, they're, they're glad to suffer for the name of Jesus, so that's something that they've got, but is, how, how is that quantifiable? Their abundance of joy, and then there's something else in their resources, or maybe not in their resources, their extreme poverty. So now you've got another part of the equation. They've got a lot of joy, and they got no money. The Greek here literally is their down-to-the-depths poverty. It is the barrel, the bottom of the barrel. I mean, there's, there's like a penny left in the, in the checking account. There is nothing. It's, it, it's, it's moment by moment, meal to meal, day-to-day kind of existence. So they've got a lot of joy. They've got no money. What are those two combined to do? How does that equation work? It overflowed. Here's our word. It's overflowed in an abundance, in a wealth of generosity on their part. These poor people who are afflicted and beaten, who are having the worst days, Terrible circumstances, and yet are filled with joy, are exploding with generosity. They're they're limited containers that have been filled with the inexhaustible love of Christ, and they can't just help but give and be generous. They're overflowing. It's an abundance of generosity, of giving in their lives. And this is where we have to wrestle with the question of our reception of God's grace. When we think about generosity and giving, I think we have the shoe on the wrong foot. We make the equation something like this. On a nice and peaceful day, when the sun is shining, and when I'm happy and glad about life, and I have my grande or venti Starbucks in hand, and my savings account has three months of emergency fund in it, then I can abound and overflow in generosity. Then the the container is full, and I can give grace everywhere. But true grace overflows despite its circumstances. If If we truly received the grace of God, then no matter what our circumstances are, severe affliction, poverty, testing with joy, We can abound in a wealth of generosity 
Consider the way, and here's what I want us to see, consider the way the grace of God was given to us in Christ. Consider how Jesus was generous to us. Did did He come and give Himself to us on His best day when the sun is shining and He had full account? No, Jesus' day of grace for us wasn't His best day. It was His worst. It was the day He went to the cross, the day He suffered and died and and gave Himself for us. Jesus, yes, filled with joy, the Scripture says that He, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross. But, but he didn't suffer and die because he had a full account. He, his garments were taken from him. He, had, he was naked. And they were gambled away in front of him as he died on that cross. His life was taken away from us. He faced a, a severe affliction and trial. And Christ, severe test of affliction and his abundance of joy and his extreme poverty for us overflowed in a wealth of generosity for us. I mean, just consider how generous Jesus was, how His grace overflowed to us, despite the circumstances. And so that causes us to go back and look at our own lives. Are your circumstances a barrier to generosity and the overflow of grace in your life? Are you waiting for the right moment to be generous? Or are your circumstances a way in which grace is magnified even more? And that's what Paul could say about the Macedonian churches here. He's blown away. Hey, Corinthians, you guys are wealthy. You are loaded. And these poor, suffering, afflicted Macedonians, they are abounding in generosity. Why is that the case? Because of the love of God that they have seen and received. Their hearts were tethered to the things of this world. Their hearts were abundantly tethered to the glorious goodness of Jesus and what He had done for them. So do you see God's grace as something that's convenient to share when the circumstances are right? Does does generosity overflow in your life when it's good and timely? Or is there an overflowing tidal wave of grace despite your circumstances? Could you say, yeah, there's affliction. Yes, there's, there's poverty. There's meagerness. But there's joy because of what God has done for me in Christ. And so there is this overflowing wealth. I love that word there. It's not just an overflow of generosity. It's a wealth of generosity. It is an overabundance of generosity on their part. Grace overflows despite its circumstances. But Paul keeps moving forward because grace, grace keeps moving. Grace keeps moving in such powerful ways. The second thing that he reveals is that grace overflows beyond its limitations. Grace jumps the wall of its limitations. Sometimes we say, okay, well, if it's not my circumstances that dictate my actions, if it's not going to be that, oftentimes it's the limitations of our lives. Like our containers are only so big, right? So how much can actually overflow out of that? We don't think we can give grace because we don't maybe perceive that we have a lot of room to give. Like, well, it'll be a withdrawal from us if it overflows in our lives. That's, That's not how the Macedonians saw it at all. We, we look at things that could box us in and we tell ourselves, here's the lines, here's the limitations, and, and if I have to give to somebody else, then I'm actually losing something. Paul says, no, that's not how it works for the Macedonians at all. He says in verse 3, they gave, so, so here's something that they've committed to as well. These Macedonian Christians were in on the campaign to support the poor Judean Christians who had nothing. They were in on being a part of this offering. 
And they gave. They gave, first of all, according to their means. And that's helpful for us. They, they looked at what they had and they said, okay, we can give this. That's, that's a right and good way of considering giving. It's just going, okay, what do we have? What can we supply? How can that look? How can that be worked out in our lives? It's faithful. It's good. So they gave according to their means. And Paul says, I can testify to that. And beyond their means. Well, here's where they don't see giving as a loss. They see it as a gain for themselves. They gave beyond their means. Unless any of us think that, well, maybe Paul was there with the you know, stick in hand saying, come on, guys, you can give more. Like, that's, that's all you've got? No, come on, what's wrong with you? No, he says they, they gave this of their own accord. It was open-handed, of their own will. They, they said, are you kidding? Like, we don't want to give just that much. We want to give all the more. And so, so let's be part of this generosity movement. Let's be a part of this grace movement. We're losing nothing by giving. We're gaining it all. So let's give. They gave according to their means and beyond their means, even more than they really could. And it wasn't under compulsion, but of their own accord, even so that they were pleading to be a part of this. Now, here's where I could see the Apostle Paul saying, you know what, Macedonians, you guys, I, I know the affliction. I know the poverty you're under. So like, expectations are low for you. You know, there's no quota here on this. I'm just not, I'm, I'm not expecting a lot. In fact, maybe it's better if you guys just like opt out on this one. The Corinthian church, they're pretty wealthy. They'll take care of it. You guys, it's okay. You, you don't need to be in that game. And, and Paul says in verse four, they begged us earnestly. They were pleading with us, no, don't withhold this from us. We are not going to sit on the sideline and caring for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. We're going to be all the more in on it. They begged earnestly, and here's what they begged for, what they wanted to be a part of. They begged earnestly for the favor of taking part of the relief of the saints. That's a faithful translation, but the Greek words here make it all the more clear. It colors it in in such a more beautiful way. They were begging for the grace to be a part of the fellowship of caring for the ministry of the saints. They wanted to extend grace and to be a part of fellowship with the Judean believers. They said, God's grace overflows in our life, and so we want to be a part of that grace river moving out. And, and so we're going to give ourselves. We don't want to be excluded from that. We want to give, and we want to give beyond what we can, beyond our limits, because it's part of grace. It's part of God's undeserved love towards us. So they begged for the favor to be a part of the fellowship of giving, the fellowship of suffering with the saints in Judea, part of the community and the unity of that. In both their active giving and in their desire to give, grace was exposed because they gave and they wanted to. They wanted to join in grace just as they had received that grace. And that's where the amazing reality of this comes to play. Because yes, we say our containers are limited, and you might say, well, the Macedonian's container is a little bit smaller than maybe the Corinthian container, but out of their generosity, they proved their container was much larger. The grace overflowed in an abounding way, even beyond its limitations. What about you? Does grace display itself in your life in this way? Has grace leapt the bounds of your own limitations? 
You might say, well, I don't have, I don't have much. I don't have a whole lot, but, but are you giving even according to what your means are? Or, or do you just shrink your container more and more because you're afraid of losing? If I give, will that mean a loss for me? I just want to, again, point us to Jesus and to see His grace. The gift of Jesus, God's grace for us, the Father's gift of grace, He didn't just send an angel or just say, hey, listen, I'm just going to let you guys operate under some sort of like common grace sort of thing, and, and you know, then you can just be destroyed and go to hell because I don't want to deal with anything there or I don't love you. And consider Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son... I mean, this is just the Father's generosity. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He, Paul asked the question, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If you think your container is very small and limited, look at God's generosity. He didn't spare His own Son. And if that's the case, how will He not provide for you and give to you graciously all things even Jesus' grace didn't hit the limitations. He, he didn't say, you know what, I, I can only give myself in a capacity that, like, maybe I'll come down and pray for you guys or, or teach you a few good tricks about how to live well. He gave himself exhaustively for us. I mean, isn't that what his death is? Giving his totality on the cross for our salvation? He, his grace extended to the very giving of his life, and he willingly gave himself for us. He said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life for him from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And again, it's grace. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. But he gave all of himself to the very last drop for our salvation. Jesus didn't stop at merely what he could give. He gave himself completely for us. His grace is far greater than we could contain or imagine, or hold within ourselves. And it's grace, it's His love towards us. And so the question is, if you've received that grace, are you giving that kind of grace? Or are you worried about losing? If I give that money away, well, I won't have. Could be that you're just diminishing your own capacity to give all the more rather than seeing the capacity for grace being expanded even beyond what you believed you could. That's the case for the Macedonians. They gave according to their means and beyond their means, begging for the favor to give and take part in the relief of the saints. They wanted to see the church loved and cared for and supplied. Grace overflows despite its circumstances. Grace overflows beyond its limitations. Thirdly, grace overflows as a giving of ourselves. Grace overflows as a giving of yourself. What are you giving when you give? It might be material goods. You might be writing a check, cash. But what are you really giving? I think a lot of times we're just giving ourselves something. We're giving ourselves the, the smug satisfaction of like, oh, I did something. Or, or we're giving ourselves maybe a, a couple-week clean bill of health. Like, okay, I'm... The Jesus giving burden is off my back. I gave, you know, paid my church taxes and don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, really, we're just giving ourselves some sort of spiritual superiority or, or mental clearance. 
But what are you really giving when you give? Maybe you're actually withholding something when you give. That's the game we like to play. Well, I gave that so I don't have to give this. I I gave a portion of my income so that I don't have to give all of my life. And we we give to withhold. Now, the, the generosity of the Macedonians really surprised the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was like, hey, guys, you can sit this one out. You know, it's tough times. I know it. I get it. And, and you're poor just as they are. And so I, I'm, our expectations are not really high. And they begged. They said, no, no, we're not going to be left out of this one. We want in. And so Paul says, this, this giving even was not as we expected. Again, it's like maybe, maybe they had a little, you know, pastoral staff meeting. And like Paul's with his other friends and missionaries like guys okay we shouldn't like let's take it easy on the macedonians they're having it it's not a good day so like don't expect too much let's just temper our expectations and they were blown away by how the macedonians gave they gave a whole lot more than just money and finances what did they give paul says they gave themselves they didn't withhold anything <laughs> they didn't look at it and go okay well here's our money so that we can withhold ourselves they said oh yeah we're all in everything what do, we, what do we got? We, we have ourselves, so let's, let's give that. They gave themselves, and notice the priority of their giving. It wasn't just to, to give financially or to meet a need. They gave themselves to the Lord first. First to the Lord. Here's, here's really where the heart of, of receiving grace comes in. They're saying, God, you've given us everything, so it's all yours. All, we're, we're all yours, Lord, every part of us. Every, every thought, attitude, inclination, all that we have, every dollar, it's, it's all yours, Lord. They saw their giving of themselves as a priority of their worship. They recognized we belong to God. We've been blood-bought by His grace. And, and so we belong to Him in every way. What are we going to withhold from God? Nothing. Nothing at all. So they gave themselves, they entrusted themselves first to the Lord, and then, Paul says, they entrusted themselves, they gave themselves to us by the will of God. Now, here Paul is just saying they, they are seeing the rightful way in which this giving is distributed and administrated. They've entrusted themselves to the Lord and said, God, all that we are, all that we have, it's yours. And, and you've given us these leaders to help take our gifts and steward them in the right direction so they meet the need that glorifies your name the most. And so we're going to give, them, we're going to give ourselves to them as stewards as well. They gave themselves to the apostles and said, okay, here's, here's, here's our income, here's our money, here's what we have, our gifts, our time. How do you want to use it? And that's, and that's where the good of giving with rightful leadership and administration really comes in. It's how the church helps steward the gifts that you give to see that they meet the needs of the people and so that they glorify God the most, so that the gospel is advanced. That's why Titus was there in Corinth. Paul had sent this letter in hand to Corinth with Titus. Titus is delivering it to them, saying, hey, Paul's coming, he's going to meet with you. He wants it, like, we, we want to have a family reunion. We want things to go really well. And we want that gift to be prepared and ready that you committed to. Because after here, he's going back to Judea to deliver that. And so Titus is there to help be the, the, the leader and the administrator for them in seeing that gift through. Paul wants to spur these Corinthians on to the same kind of generosity that the Macedonians were experiencing. 
Grace overflowed in the hearts of the Macedonians, and they gave themselves. They gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to the apostles, and they gave themselves to meet this need. Grace overflows as a giving of yourself. And so do you see the same grace overflowing in your own life? Could you say that a reception of grace is a revealing and a giving of grace? This is how Jesus gave himself for us. Again, he didn't just come and like, well, let me just shower gifts of of money to everybody. He, He didn't send an angel to deal with our need. He didn't just give a small portion of what he could do. He gave himself. God in Christ came for us to to fix the problem of our rebellion and our sinful hatred against Him, to, to fix the problem of our sure doom and death. Jesus gave Himself. So He gave Himself first to His Father to do the will of His Father. He entrusted himself to his Father. And then he gave himself to the church. Christ came in his incarnation and gave himself in perfect obedience for us. He gave himself in his sacrificial death by shedding his blood for our sins. He gave himself in his resurrection as the only hope of our life. Jesus gave himself in his vindication and in his ascension as he will bring all those who believe into his forever kingdom. Jesus gives himself even right now as our intercessor. He is praying for us in this very moment. He keeps giving of himself for us. That's what we've got to get our eyes on. Again, I'll ask the question, if you have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ in your life, are you giving yourself to Him? Are you giving yourself to the church? Has grace overflowed in your life so that you can say to the Lord, all I have is yours. I I will withhold nothing. Many of us are giving, but we're withholding ourselves. Saying, here's my offering so that I don't have to give the rest of me. Jesus leads us in showing us he gave all of himself for us. Are you saying to God, God, I'll give you an hour or two a week so I can have the rest of my time. God, I'll give you just a couple percentage points on my income so that I can have the rest. God, I'll give you my service one week a month so that the rest of the time it's all for me. Grace received is grace given. It overflows in our lives. And so let me conclude this, this message this way. And this, as we begin to go into this series this morning and in, in the next few weeks, I, I'm not here to ask you for anything this morning. I, I know from what our finance committee has shared with me, where our congregation stands in terms of how we give and, and in some um, particular ways, but I don't want to motivate us by guilt. I don't want to motivate you by duty. I don't want to tell you here's the tithe and, and give on that because that's not how God, God motivates us. He gives us a beautiful vision of what He's done for us in Christ. So if I anything today, I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to see how Jesus has come and He has given Himself despite the circumstances. His, his gift of Himself blows out the limitations of our lives. And his giving of himself was actually giving himself for us. And I want you to see and contemplate Jesus and his grace and his goodness and ask yourself the question, have I really received that grace? Because if you have, 
if you're getting a bigger view of his grace in your life, that grace will begin to overflow. The limited container of your life, and I don't say that to put you down, just reality, we are finite beings. The limited container of our lives, if we're truly receiving the grace of God, it'll have to overflow. It'll have to pour itself over the brim into the lives of others. And so as this matter of discipleship for us, I want us to grow, but I want us to grow because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we are more and more taken by Him. We're more and more amazed by Him, and we're more and more stunned by what He has done for us. So there just becomes a natural like, oh, that's what He's done. And here's what I have. It's all His. So let's get our eyes on the grace of Jesus so that we can become generous like Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son for us. And Lord, we, we confess this morning that we have, we have turned down the dial of our view of your grace. We, we've turned it off in so many ways because we're afraid of it costing us something. But Lord, help us to see what your son Jesus has done for us. Help us to see his life and how he has fully given himself for us. Give us a view, Father, of Jesus' death and how he exhaustively gave himself for us. Father, let us see Christ and all his promises, all that he promises to be for us. And may, and may we entrust ourselves to you more and more. Thank you for your grace. We don't deserve it. It's what makes it grace. You love us. You've given your son for us. So Lord, increase the flow of generosity in our lives because our, our view is fixed with a massive view of what Jesus has done. We thank you. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.